Good evening. Let's pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be accepted in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm at a quandary because, you know, I said this is going to be part two and part one and part two of a sermon, and I'm just the more I dig into the sermon, the text, the more I find and discover. So when I'm getting too long, just go, <laughs> and I'll stop. <laughs> so I got to give you some background as I go into this story. But the book of Numbers is believed to, in Jewish and in Christian traditions, to be authored by Moses. And the book, Moses is not the central figure, but a person that the Lord really commanded uh, to record events. And so the opening verse of the book of Numbers in chapter one, it said, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness in Sinai, in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day of the second month in the second year after they were come into the land of Egypt. It's kind of setting the context for what happened. These, these opening words really give us a glimpse of what the book of Numbers will all be about and what the content of that book will be about. It's going to have a lot of statistics and numerical data and population counts and tribal and priestly figures. Numbers follows like the Hebrew children's journey um, tracing the events that began in the second year after they escaped from Egypt and while they were really camped around Mount Sinai. And it really continues for about 38 years when the Hebrew children are in Moab by the Jordan opposite of the Jericho. And I'm going, if I'm going too fast, just go slow your roll or something. Give me some indication. And they're ready at this point to cross over into the promised land. And so the book looks backwards and then it looks forward, reminding the children of Israel and the people of God of their past blessings, but also pointing them towards all of the blessings that God has for them in the future. And the teaching in Numbers is really directed towards this younger generation because, you know, the older generation of the children of Israel had died off wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. So the book of Numbers looks at the generation that will follow after them. And not only do Numbers display the endurance of the Hebrew people, but the book also demonstrated the test of patience and determination of God's faithfulness to these people. And so as we journey through this account in the life of the uh, Hebrew children, we're really twice taken on this long, winding, winding road through the desert and this painful census of who would believe and who would linger on and the 12 tribes. And the book includes some priestly instructions. It includes some blessings and it concludes some prayers for the people of God. And it is one such prayer that is really the focus of that small text that was read for our, us today, the prayer of blessing. The, the brief and yet powerful benediction prayer. I would venture that most of us, maybe you could just acknowledge by nodding your head, have heard this prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and grant you his peace. A unique and distinct prayer of benediction that really represents an announcement of divine blessing upon the people of Israel, on the people of God, on, from the lips of the priest, this blessing is coming, but it's coming from the hand of God. The blessing on the people from the lips of the peace from the hand of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, and I'm going to read it again, and I want you to pay attention to see which words really uh, uh, jump out at you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. I intentionally emphasize one of the words there and some, something fun to ponder in your spare time when you want to do some theological reflection is whether this blessing contains six actions or just three. Does it contain six actions? Does the Lord bless, keep, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift his face upon, lift his face on you or give you peace? Or should it be understood like the Lord bless by keeping, that's one, make his face as an outpouring of God's gracious nature, that's two, or God lifts God's face with God's peace, that's three. So have fun with that. <laughs> Most scholars really suggest that it all really depends on the interpretation of that conjunction and. And in many Christian and in, in some Jewish worship experience today, this benediction is still heard as worship leaders say it over the people. And I've even used it here on multiple occasions as we are leaving. This benediction is used to offer this blessing upon people as they leave the worship experience. But, you know, it's been my experience that... Um, the more acquainted we become with something or the more acquainted we become with someone, the easier it is for us to take it or them for granted. You know, the fact that we say this so often, sometimes, oh, I've heard that before. And you say, when we become too familiar with people or with things, we tend to discard them, discount them, disrespect them. Now, if you're sitting next to your BFF or your partner or your spouse, you might want to say, honey, that doesn't apply to us. That's a good time to say that right there. <laughs> even, even, even in worship, even in worship, when you consider how frequently we, we repeatedly do the same things, the call to worship, the confession and forgiveness, the Apostles' Creed, the scripture lesson, the Lord's Prayer, and even our mission statement, it can become so accustomed to us that after a while, they just produce some kind of mechanical, superficial, passing consideration those blah blah, blah. oh yeah and forgive us our sins blah, blah, blah. oh yeah and we are an inclusive congregation and it doesn't have any meaning to us in fact i pointed out to someone a few weeks ago did you know that in the lord's prayer you're asking god to be no more forgiving of you than you are of the person that has sinned against you oh no, i don't say that Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So we repeatedly cite, recite things and they become routine 
and they become rituals. And so they just become kind of a fleeting thought, some nostalgic reflection or temporary thing that makes us feel good. And so I want us to guard against that as we look at this text today, because I hope we can find some really good insights. In these verses, the priests are commanded to give these words of blessing to the congregation and the Israel, invoking the name of God upon Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, invoking the name of God upon them. And the text helps us to understand what scripture considers a blessing and what a blessing entails. Today we hear people use the name of God like we use our ATM, like we use our credit card, like we use our cash app and our Apple Pay. So I want us to look at this verse a little differently today and see what insights we, command, we can get from it. The command of to the priest to invoke the name of God upon the people had nothing to do with magic. It wasn't hocus pocus. And this is important to know because if you just read the text, you say, okay, you call the name of God and you get the blessing you want. Because at the time that this text was written, some of the nations surrounding Israel believed that by knowing the name of God or knowing the name of a God gave the person power over the God, gave the nation power over the God. And so they became the boss of the God and commanding the God as they please. And the God then becomes their genie. The God becomes their Santa Claus. The God becomes their private servant. The God becomes their slave, waiting to answer at their beck and call, just by knowing the name of God. And we see this phenomena in the world today, in many Christian circles, in Christian churches, in Christian denominations around America. People who feel as if though their denomination or their faith or their religion or even their nation have some monopoly over the use of the name of God. Church that I grew up, people was in the name of Jesus. God, I command you to heal. I command you to open this door. I command you to make a way. I command you to perform this miracle. I command you to, uh, to change this situation, to heal this body. I have control over God. They talk to God in some, such a demeaning way. We wouldn't talk to our children. We wouldn't talk to our partners. We wouldn't even talk to our pets like that. And in our impatient world, we tend to want everything now. And so we think and preach and believe that we can find God in, in, in our lives through a momentary experience, through a weekend seminar, or by just declaring, in the name of Jesus. At a conversation with a member of a congregation I served many years ago, and I'm not even going to tell you where I was when I was serving, and I said in the middle of the conversation, it's time for America to bless God. And the member replied to me, Pastor, didn't you get that backwards? America is a Christian nation. Suggesting that because God is referenced in America's direct declaration of independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that are endowed by the creator God with certain inalienable rights 
suggesting that with the exception of Teddy Roosevelt and John Quincy Adams, that every American president has sworn in using the presidential oath by putting their hand on a Bible. That makes America a Christian nation. That because in God we trust is on the currency, that makes America a Christian nation. Because the Pledge of Allegiance affirms that we're one nation under God, that makes America a Christian nation. <coughs> Including the name of God on the currency. Integrating or referencing God in the Pledge of Allegiance. Or even incorporating God in the Declaration of Independence doesn't make anyone, doesn't make America a Christian nation any more than citing Bible verses makes a person a Christian. The devil knows the Bible. I'm going to say that one more time. The devil knows the Bible. And if you don't believe me, read Luke chapter 4. It's an epic story of Jesus entering into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There is Jesus and the devil, mano mano, in this battle royale um, for the fate of the cosmos. The devil knows the Bible. And so in the first two temptations, Jesus responds to the devil. It is written in the Bible. And the devil said, oh, this isn't working. He's not falling for my temptations. So the devil said, hmm, it's time to fight fire with fire. And in the third temptation, when Jesus is taken to the pinnacle of Jerusalem, the devil says, look, I'll give you all of that if you just jump. And then the devil says to Jesus, it is written. The devil knows the Bible. You will give your angels charge over you, and you won't dash your foot against a stone. The devil quotes Psalm 91. And that's what was happening in this text. The surrounding nations believed that if they knew the name of a God, and they just simply called the name of the God, then that God would be obliged to perform or act on their behalf. So they controlled God simply by invoking God's name. But the God of the Bible and the God of Israel had already made a declaration that thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. The idea that God could be manipulated or controlled by simply calling God's name is to use the name of God in vain. And my friend said, that's right next door to idolatry. Secondly, invoking the name of God upon the people of Israel was not a shortcut method for a blessing. Blessings came through obeying God. Blessings came through walking in the ways of God. The priestly blessing was not this fast food in the spiritual diet of the person of faith. But the text suggests this was not intended when God gave this blessing. The Lord bless you. The benediction given to the priest to bless the people teaches that we are blessed when we know God. We're blessed when we understand God's character. We're blessed when we trust God's covenant. We're blessed when we walk in God's ways. So to invoke the name of God upon the people is to remind them of who God is, what God has done, and what God is promising to do. So this is where I had in my notes, you need to stop here because you talk too much already. 
So I haven't seen anybody yawn yet, but can someone turn the air just down <laughs> because it's getting warm? Uh, as the songwriter said, it's getting hot in here. <laughs> so, so now, now that we've talked about the name, I just want to talk about, no, I wasn't going to go to the next part of that song. <laughs> so let's look at, so let's look at the word bless you. Bless you. Blessings which came by invoking the name upon the people didn't magically attach itself to the actual use of the name. Yes, the priests are commanded to speak the name of God upon the people, but they were also given a set blessing consisting of much more than just Yahweh, the name of God. If the blessing consisted only of speaking and pronouncing the name of God, then the name of God would have been throughout the entire blessing. But the name of God only appears three times, three times in this entire blessing. The Lord bless you. And scripture implies that God's blessings come to those who walk by faith. And faith is demonstrated in our willingness to submit to God and to God's way. And that's the hard part about living this thing that we call faith and living this thing that we call Christianity. It's easy to talk it, but it's hard to live it because it means that I have to change my ways to walk in the ways that God wants me to walk. And sometimes how God wants me to see someone is not how I want to see someone. Sometimes how God wants me to talk to someone is not how I want to talk to them. Sometimes how God wants me to treat someone is not how I want to treat them. And so the blessing of God comes by submission to God and walking in God's ways. The Lord bless you. The word that's used here for bless is a Hebrew word called barak. And to bless means to adore, to kneel down before and to adore, to bless someone with something. To bless means to give something value, to give something value. It's common to hear this word at the beginning of Hebrew blessings because it is believed that God and only God is the one, the creator of the world that is deserving of that kind of blessing. But in this prayer, notice what happens in this prayer. The table is turned. And rather than God being the one who is receiving the blessing, God is the one that's administering the blessing. The Lord bless you. God, we're not worshiping and adoring God. God is adoring us. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. To have God bless humans is truly an outpouring rather, of God's grace. We talk a lot about grace in the Lutheran church, but when God blesses us, it's an outpouring of God's grace. It's in our point. It's easy to be a cynic when we think about blessings and think about promises, but that's what God is promising here in this verse. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Can I ask you a personal question? Are you a blessing to someone? How have you blessed someone lately? You could turn around and you can ask me, Kenneth, how have you blessed someone? 
I, I want you to ask me. And ask me this, whose life have you made a blessing deposit into? Yeah, ask me that. Whose life has you made a blessing deposit into? A spiritual deposit, an emotional deposit, a physical deposit, a, a, a financial deposit, a deposit of your time. Am I blessing someone or are you blessing someone? The blessings of God is summed up in God's keeping power, which leads to the final point for this part one. The opening of the prayer doesn't end with the blessing, but it also includes a second part, which is the Lord keep you. The word translated keep is a very common Hebrew word, shamar. And, and, and shamar means to guard. Shamar means to protect. Shamar means to, to be in charge of. And the second part of the prayer supports the meaning of the first part. The blessing of God is summed up in God's keeping power. Adonai bless you and keep you. In the New Testament, in the Matthew and in Luke, a shepherd cares for his sheep under their watch. And in, the, in Matthew and Luke, it talks about a sheep wandering off and the shepherd going after that one sheep and leaving the 99 behind. And if I asked you, if you were the shepherd, what would you do? Would you leave 99 sheep to go and look after one? Or you might say, well, let me think about that. Or, or it depends on which sheep it was. <laughs> We would, we would do a cost-benefit analysis to determine if the effort and the risk involved would be worth the possible gain. We would justify it by saying, oh, it's only one sheep. But what if you were the sheep? What if you were the sheep? Our view in the situation changes drastically if we ourselves are the sheep. The Lord keep you, the Lord protect you, the Lord guard you, which is what God promises to do for those God has blessed. So the one who blesses you is able to keep and to guard and protect you. Preach, Kenneth, I'm doing the best I can. You remember the story of Job? He said, Job, Job said, God, you put a hedge around him so that he, we can't even touch him. And the church that I grew up in, they used to sing a song, Jesus be a hedge all around me every day. I, I was talking to some young folks earlier today, and they didn't know any of those older songs. <laughs> Jesus, I want you to protect me as I travel all my way. I know you can. I know you will fight my battle if I just keep still. The Lord bless you and keep you. These two words were connected in the first clause of the prayer, being God is responsible for the blessing and God is responsible for the keeping. Oh, to be kept by Jesus. That's a song that my dad used to sing. My dad used to sing this song, Jesus keep me near the cross. But the song I like the most that my dad used to sing is just another day that the Lord has kept me. Just another day 
that the Lord has kept me. I don't want to sing because y'all are all singers. But he said, he has kept me from all evil. With my mind stayed on him. Just another day that the Lord has kept me. Papa Lawrence, you know the second half of that song. I'm so glad that the Lord has kept me. I'm so glad that the Lord has kept me, kept me from cussing somebody out. He has kept me from all evil. Come on, sing it with me. With my mind, with my mind, stayed on Jesus just another day. That the Lord has kept me. Oh, to be kept by Jesus. That's it. Part two comes up on next week. <laughs> the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. Amen.